of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Please be seated. Our first scripture reading from Genesis today is in some ways a shame that we get so little of the story. Uh, We just get sort of the punchline to the whole sweep of the Joseph cycle of stories. Um, The great drama of Joseph begins in Genesis chapter 37 and runs all the way to Genesis 50. If you haven't read it ever or in a while, I encourage you to dust off a Bible and open up Genesis or or look at it online. Or if you've never seen the film or the show, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, check it out. (laughs) There's a lot of it on YouTube, as I saw late last night. Joseph is, of course, the favorite son of Jacob, who also goes by the name Israel. But Joseph is also something of a spoiled brat. He's insufferable. Not only is he his father's favorite, but he has these special abilities. He can see into the future. He can decipher dreams. And so because he is the favorite and oh so special, his father gives him um, a coat of many colors. Um, That's according to the King James Bible, the coat of many colors. Um, The Revised Standard Version and the New Revised Standard Version uh, learned a little more about the Hebrew and disappointingly calls it a long-sleeved garment. Um, That's just not the same, is it? Whether it was a coat of many colors or a special long-sleeved garment, it was just one other reason for Joseph's brothers to hate him. And so they began to plot and think about a way to, to undo his dreaming. And when they were out on a trip, they sold their brother Joseph into slavery. And they brought that long-sleeved coat of many colors back with the blood of an animal on it and gave it to their father, leaving the father to think that his youngest favorite son had been mauled by a wild beast. If you know the story, you know that Joseph ends up doing pretty well. He goes from adventure to adventure. Um, He lands in Potiphar's house where he's helping and and sort of an official in Potiphar's house. But then he gets into trouble there as well. Potiphar's wife has designs on Joseph, um, tries to seduce him. He won't go for it. She sets him up. He ends up going to prison. Lots of drama in Genesis. Because of Joseph's special abilities to uh, decipher people's dreams, he gets out of prison and he winds up serving in the high court of Pharaoh. And so there his his dream-telling abilities really come in handy. He's able to see that the whole country is going to soon be undergoing a famine. And so he leads all of Egypt to, to build up its storehouses of grain and its resources so that when the famine comes along... Egypt does just fine. Meanwhile, his brothers and his family living in Canaan are starving. And so the brothers begin to move out and go anywhere they can looking for grain, looking for food, looking for something to live on. And so they wind up knocking on the door of Joseph. They don't recognize Joseph. I mean, they have no idea what's happened to their brother. But there he is. 
Joseph suddenly has the power over life and death with his brothers. Then Joseph has to decide whether to uh, forgive them, uh, whether to be honest with them, whether to do something else. And so we come to today's scripture where Joseph decides to be honest with them, to to forgive them, uh, to not only bless them with food and grain, but to, to orchestrate a whole reunion with his family. And lo and behold, there's yet another new brother, a younger brother. Joseph seems to have some, uh, some theological insight on his situation when he says um, near the end of chapter 50, Joseph says, even though you intended to do harm to me, God intended it for good. We're not always in that position of Joseph, and even if we are, I'm not sure we have that sort of faith, the faith to, to look back on it all and say, even though others intended evil, God has intended something good. If we were in Joseph's position, what would we have done? How would we have acted? Would we have gone for the jugular and really made it hurt and enjoyed it, seeking vengeance, wanting to feel like the wrong is being righted, somehow trying to balance the old scales of an eye for an eye? Or do we remember Jesus? Do we hold on to our faith? Do we pray for more faith? In his letter to the Corinthians, St. Paul reminds his audience, his, his hearers, that the resurrection is also about the power of the Spirit. We're more than our bodies and human desires. We're more than animals needing to fight for turf or prestige or possessions. We have evolved and our spirits have grown. We're people of the Spirit. And as such, we're capable of being brought by the Spirit to new heights and new ways of behaving and new ways of loving. Be merciful, Jesus says. Don't judge. Be merciful. I have a friend who recently was in that position of Joseph, or one similar to it. Um, My friend does some sort of entrepreneurial business making where he's always putting together deals, often deals that have to do with with movies or films. Um, He's basically a deal maker, often bringing individuals and groups together, and, and poof, a success is made. But years ago, when he was just beginning with his own little business, the friends of a friend had promised to help him. Everything was set and settled, he thought, and then these so-called friends backed out at the last minute. They left my friend in tremendous debt and almost in bankruptcy. He never forgot. (laughs) Over the years, he played in his head what he would do if he ever saw them again or was in a situation where they asked him for help, what would he do? How could he really get back at them? Well, fast forward to this year, and that's what happened. Those same individuals had to approach my friend and ask that, that he could involve uh, his friends in a deal that would save their business. And so my buddy had some big decisions to make. Would he finally get even and begin to sort of unwind some of these plans he'd cooked up in the imagination of his heart? 
Um, Would he come clean with them and say to them just how bad the situation was they had put him in? Would he hand it over to his partners and see what happened? Well, it turned out he was sort of able to talk to his partners. And in so doing, he realized he was exhausted carrying the anger and the resentment of these people. It turned out the deal didn't really make good sense for the partners, but the decision was one based on business, not based on hatred, not based on getting even. What would we do? What would you do? What would I do? Jesus says, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. But Jesus is saying more than that, isn't he? He's saying, go beyond what's expected, and in so doing, it will throw the other person for a loop. (laughs) By no means is Jesus saying, embrace the role of the victim and be a victim like there's never been a victim before. Not at all. Instead, Jesus is saying, redefine your victimhood. (laughs) You still have agency. You can choose what happens next. You can choose how you see the situation. You can choose who gets involved from here on. If we choose not to remain the victim, we turn the other cheek. The other person then risks looking like a fool going over too far. If we give the shirt and the pants as well, we take control of the situation for good and for God's good. It is possible, somehow, some way, and often involving others, to turn the energy and the power of the equation around so that it can open up for blessing, for forgiveness, for a way forward. We can say with Joseph, even though you intended to do harm to me, God has turned it into good. There's a wonderful story from the tradition of St. Francis of Assisi where he had a new young follower named Angelo. And Angelo had been pretty responsible and so St. Francis put Brother Angelo in charge of one of the houses as the guardian of the house. And so St. Francis and other brothers went out and about preaching and and teaching and helping people and serving the poor. And a part of their going out and about was to beg for food and drink so they could bring it home and they would have enough for themselves as well. And so while Francis and the other friars were out and about, Brother Angelo was taking care of the house and there was a knock on the door. He opened the door and there were these three notorious robbers that everybody knew about. These robbers had been brutal and vicious. They had stolen from people. They had hurt people. They had killed people. And so somehow, some way, Brother Angelo was like filled up with a kind of righteous indignation and a, the fiery faith of a new convert. And so he yelled at those robbers. He said, you robbers and cruel murderers, you aren't even ashamed to steal the hard work of others. And now you're bold and shameless enough to try to devour the alms that your servants of God have. You aren't worth the ground to hold you up. 
Now go, mind your own business and never come around here again. And he slammed the door in their face and off they went. Angelo felt really good for himself. He had, he had shown them the ferocity of God, the God of justice. Francis and the other brothers returned home, and Brother Angelo excitedly told them how he, he denounced those robbers and put them in their place and sent them on their way. Angelo was surprised at the response he got from Francis. St. Francis reminded his brother that people are brought back to God more by sweetness than rebuke. He reminded them all how Jesus teaches that it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And how Jesus comes not for the good, especially, but for those who find it really hard to be good. And so Francis commanded Brother Angelo, take this little bread and jug of wine, all we have, and go and find those robbers and apologize. When you find them, kneel down in front of them and beg forgiveness for your rudeness and insist that they take this bread and wine. And if they'd like more, they should come back and join us. Brother Angelo had the the faith to do what Francis asked of him. When he found the robbers, they were so shocked and moved by his action that they did turn and, and return. They were converted and they followed him back and they became Franciscans themselves. Francis was teaching what Jesus taught. When wrong is done to us, the person of faith does not reciprocate Even when we want to, even though we think it'll feel good, the person of deep faith does not reciprocate. It was hard for the Franciscan friars to do this, but Francis showed them how. It was hard for the disciples to do this, but Jesus showed them how, just as he shows us how through the Holy Spirit. In just a few weeks, we begin the season of Lent. Among the other changes in the colors we use and the tone of our music and prayers, you'll notice that at the very beginning of our worship service, instead of saying or singing, Glory to God in the highest, we'll instead say or sing, Lord, have mercy upon us. Lent is a season for asking for God's mercy, but it's not just mercy for me, for you, for ourselves. Perhaps the Holy Spirit can use this season not only to give us a sense of God's mercy, but also to show us all how to enable and show this mercy to others. Maybe this Lent, with the Holy Spirit's help, we can find mercy for ourselves, with ourselves, but show it to others and to a wounded world. Lord, have mercy, and let us all have mercy. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.